Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We talk today to Mark Selby. He's the CEO of Canada Nickel. They're a TSX V-listed nickel explorer with assets in Canada. Mark's going to join us for a weekly update on the nickel market. Uh, today we talk about China. Has it recovered? What are the supply chains looking like? What's the impact for nickel moving forward? And more importantly, price. We also look at what Tesla's doing with their LFP battery and how that's going to impact battery design across the automotive industry and what it means for nickel. Plus, we've got a bit of M&A activity. We discussed two big purchases and again, interesting to see how uh, this develops and if there will be any further consolidation in the marketplace. Enjoy the podcast. Hey Mark, how are you doing sir? Good Matthew, good to see you again. Well thanks for joining us. In fact you're going to be joining us uh, far more regularly. We've agreed to do a weekly catch up in the world of nickel now that people seem to be turning their heads towards it. Yes, after a, a decade in the woods where people uh, weren't particularly interested in the metal, um, you know, I think you know, the EV overlay, and I think a lot of people realizing that nickel is going to be the most important metal in the cathode of the battery, you know, seeing much more interest. So I'm, I'm glad um, people actually want to hear about it. Uh, oh, they do. So. They do. They do. And, um, you know, we've had lots of inbound questions. We're going to talk about some of those today. Um, and if they want to continue uh, sending those questions in, you will be here to answer them each week. So I think that'd be um, pretty, pretty exciting stuff, I think. Well, yeah, no, looking forward to it. Good. Okay, well, let's let's start with the macro thing because uh, people need to believe the nickel macro uh, thesis. Um, yeah. There's been a lot happening. Um, you know, when we first started talking about this before, you know, Christmas, I think you you were the first one to call the the fact that there would be a dip, and we were sort of riding on a bit of a high back to August yeah. September, and um, you called that right. Yeah. No. No. Hopefully, uh, you know, you get lucky every once in a while, but hopefully, I'll be a little more right than wrong as we go through. So, um, you guys can keep track. I always like to keep track of my predictions. So, um, you get a little scorecard. We, 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 we will for sure. But okay. So, but back to today. Obviously, COVID's had yeah. a massive impact on supply chains all around the world, uh, all, all commodities, yeah. all, all sectors, quite frankly. Um, and I think there's been a lot of guessing, second guessing as to what the new the brave new world will look like and you know yeah. how how companies how commodities will fit into that so there's some news out from china it, it seems to and we did talk about it a, a couple of weeks ago you you said that they are recovering yeah i know we talked you know we talked um about a month ago and said you know look at you know and i think a month before that i said you know when you get to a bottom these are the kind of indicators that you know give you a good sense that you know things are moving higher. So, you know, I'm pretty happy that you know we since we talked, you've seen copper prices move up you know more than 10%. Um, you know, some of the other commodities have, have have also moved up in that time frame. And again, I think you're continuing to see those um, you know macro set of indicators to show that you know China is giving things a big infrastructure push. You know, and that is translating into demand across you know the entire you know metal spectrum bulk space. And, and so forth, and, and that's not going to slow down. And again, I, I think as the other countries come out of their COVID crunches, you're going to see you know, you sort of see similar programs, um, you know, come to the fore. But if you but if you think about that, obviously COVID's um, not only has it affected supply chains, you know, across the world, but mining specifically, we're produ we've produced less of a lot of commodities during this time. Even people who managed to kind of keep their minds open were 
you know, struggling, to, you know, struggling to some degree or other, and they, you know, they've had some impact on the bottom line. So, what what are these supply deficits going to do specifically in nickel? Yeah. So again, you know, that's a great point. COVID's had as much of an impact uh, on different people on different metal supply situations, and I, that's you know, I think critical to understand which metals are going to come out of this better better than others. Um, you know, where nickel um, re- was really impacted was. You know, the Indonesia, um, not so much, but the Philippines, um, which supplies the bulk of the ore that needs is needed to make Chinese nickel pig iron. You know, large portions of those mines had to shut down. So, you know, you had literally, uh, you know, INSG put out their April numbers a, a little bit ago and you had global supply shrink by about 12 percent uh, year over year. And a big chunk of that um, was in the Philippines. You had a few other remote mines uh, shut down um, during during that time frame. But that huge chunk of, of ore not being there caused you know ore stockpiles in china to drop down to multi-year lows you know that's what helped sort of push nickel up nickel went first versus some of the other metals um, back in march april because it was clear to the producers there it's like oh geez you know uh, you know there's you know the indonesian ore ban came into place in january so our really only source of nickel ore is going to be the philippines and oh COVID just shut that off as well so um you know that caused um you know a little bit of, of uh, not panic, but concern, which led to, you know, people really restocking uh, material to make sure they had it just in case, you know, the Philippines or uh, ban, you know, shut down for longer. So what is that, what is the impact of something like that? Because, you know, if I look in the uranium space, you've, you've had two very yeah. big producers, you know, shut, shut down because of COVID, still not back up and running. I mean, they've got a whole different yeah. bunch of, um, you know, issues around pricing, etc., price discovery. But, in this instance, do you, people like the Philippines um, say, I tell you, what, we have been shut down, but we're going to play catch up here? Or do they say, well, actually, it kind of suits us well because it could be the, be- the beginning of driving the nickel price back up? I and mean, how, do, how do they react? Typically, you know, your mines have some ability to crank it up a little bit. But in this case, you know, a lot of those mines, you know, are able to sort of, you know, push, they push at capacity as much as they're literally just digging up dirt. Um, you know, that's that's what that laterite or exports look like. So, you know, they they they've sort of pushed to capacity um, already. Um, and and the and the where they sometimes are able to sort of provide more supply is they may have lower grade stockpiles that they you know don't ship because it doesn't meet a minimum cost. But because the Indonesian ore ban was pulled forward um, to January of this year, um, those Philippine ore stockpiles, basically all, any any Philippine ore people could get their hands on, you know, went into China already in the second half of last year. So, you know, where it really, you know, has an impact is, you know, there's an X amount of produ- production that's not there that's going to reduce X amount of stockpiles, um, which is just going to tighten up, um, you know, the, the, the supply demand band, you know, these, you know, supply demand balance and the material available. You know, for that particular metal. So, no, it, you know, coming back out of it, um, the, you know, the Philippines won't be able to sort of turn it up another 25 or 30 percent. They were planning to do already because of the Indonesian ore ban. So, um, yeah, they're they're not going to be able to, you know, fill it up too much. And, and the the big issue um, for this fall. So I think we're going to trade sideways in nickel through till uh, September October here um, is. Uh, it's rainy season. You can't dig up dirt when your trucks just sink into the mud. So there's a you know four month period where Indi- Philippine ore exports drop off, and the same thing used to happen in Indonesia. 
And when both of them were there, they were, they were a little bit off sync. So, you know, in terms of supply to China, you know, across the entire year, it was relatively smooth. But now that Indonesia is out of the picture, you know, the Philippines now needs to produce everything, not just for a 12 month period, but, you know, basic for everything for a 12 month period and get it shipped out in eight. So the Chinese market is going to have four months where there's, you know, there aren't going to be a lot of ships coming from, uh, from anywhere um, with, with ore supply. So that's going to create an interesting dynamic kind of October, November, December, January, uh, n- next, you know, this late, later in the year. So, I mean, I mean, it's starting to get really interesting here because you've got um, Indonesia out of the picture. Get it. Okay. We've talked about that previously. Yep. And we'll put a link to that video in here. Philippines struggling. Rainy season is, is a big impact. I hadn't appreciated that. Um, we've had a big supply disruption for the last three months or so, um, yep. I, I'm trying to understand pricing. It has been a fairly erratic pricing. We've talked about super cycles and we've talked about scrap impacting pricing and now you've kind of got all of these sort of um, issues that we've you know, just, just discussed. I mean, is nickel, when's nickel gonna find its feet or when is that kind of thing's gonna settle down in terms of the supply into the market? The demand's there, but when, when are they gonna yep. be able to get, get control again? No, I mean, nickel's always been volatile and, and because you've got, and I think it's going to continue to be volatile. So, you know, again, if you look back over you know, the last 12 months, so we first talked in September last year, it was 18,000 said, hey, that's not sustainable. You know, scrap and nickel pig iron production is going to take it down to 12 to 13. COVID took it down to 11 um, in February. Um, you know, we saw the market because that supply from the Philippines came out that really tightened up the market in China. So we started moving back up, say $12,000 a ton, you know, relatively uh, quickly. And, and we've, you know, flirted with um, getting up to 13,000 um, in the last few weeks. Um, but with with the macro indicators in in the March, April timeframe, that, that sucked a bunch of material into um, China. So you had people, um, you know, uh, export to finished nickel to, to China. Um, so in China right now, everything's, you know, stockpiles are starting to creep up again. Pricing's kind of come off a little bit. Um, and so, yeah, that's why I think from now until um, October, you know, the, the, the gap that sort of opened in, in March, April has now been filled up. And so, you know, I think we, you know, we're going to trade sideways here for three or four months. And, and the big question for next fall is going to be, okay, yes, um, Chinese NPI is reliant on this material coming from the Philippines. Indonesian NPI is ramping up. You've got a bunch of plants ramping up as expected. And you know, you've got large, large amounts of nickel pig iron now coming from Indonesia to China. Um, so that's going to be, you know, the, the, um, you know the, the key question in that October, November, December, January period is, okay, how, how much stronger is Chinese nickel and stainless d- demand growth going to be? Again, I think it's going to be you know, continue to be strong as China tries to, and, and the world tries to reflate its economy. Um, Indonesian nickel, nickel pig iron will be strong. You know, they're going to continue to push out as much as they can, um, you know, uh, out of Indonesia as these, as these plants ramp up. Um, and then it's going to be, you know, how much ore is the Philippines actually going to be able to deliver in time, you know, and build up stockpile. Again, you need to build up stockpile for that four month period. You know, what's that going to look like? So it's going to be an interesting, you know, four-month period, and again, I, it's it's going to depend on the rains in, in the Philippines. Um, you know, the ramp up in Indonesia, and then sort of where global stainless demand is going to come out. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, we're going to be a net positive that by January, February, we're going to be up 
sort of five or ten percent from here. Um, but um, it's 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 going to be the, that the dynamic between those those three key variables. Okay, and there's also been an earthquake. Yeah, no, things popped up a little bit um, last week or two because there was a I think a magnitude five literally just off the coast of Sulawesi where there's a bunch of of plants. I, I don't think there was any significant damage, but it, you know again allowed the traders to squeeze out you know a, a few more uh, dollars per ton uh, than they otherwise would. China, okay, China, it's always China. Um, yeah. Um, you know, so they, they're they're going to spend a lot of money, you know, trying to get the economy going, big infrastructure projects. I haven't seen the same sorts of moves from anywhere else in the world at the moment. I mean, do you, you must look at the macro story, you know, because, you know, you've got all this quantitative easing going on, all this money being pumped into the economy and, you know, different countries are approaching it different ways. But is there, are there any clues there on the macro side um, that suggest the US is going to do infrastructure projects which they're going to need nickel for or, you know, across Europe or any other big you know, centers, because I'm not seeing it yet. Um, but if no. it does come, it would be quite an interesting spot for um, nickel. Um, and I guess the other question is, you know, what's your what's your view on the automotive sector as well? Because again, during the crisis, I think people were a bit nervous about, you know, consumers wanting to spend a lot of money on a big unit cost like a car, uh, having just yeah. experienced one of the worst, you know, periods of, of their lives probably no i think where where it's going to be more manifest globally i mean there will be some infrastructure spend but you know the in the west it's consumer spending that's the big driver and then consumer goods that consume a lot of of metals um and you know i i saw your interview with andy home again who's i was always enjoy his commentary and and i i would really want to echo his comments there i think you know the theme that you've heard from politicians in the west is um, you know, we've, you know, we've, um, we need to reshape our economies because let's take, take advantage of this, you know, uh, catastrophe in terms of COVID crisis as an opportunity to reshape our economies the, in, in the way that we want to, you know, to do it. And again, the politicians realize, okay, you know, we now have license to spend a lot of money. So, um, so I think you've already seen it in Germany and France. Um, you've seen, I think, Australia and New Zealand are looking at incentives. So I think you know one of the big winners of this is going to be electric vehicles. So you know it's it's let's take this opportunity to get people to buy spend money and by buying cars because they're big ticket items, um, and and the incentive is going to going to be to buy electric vehicles. So um, you know again China has made steps um, down this path. Um, you know France and Germany have as well, and I think you're going to see you know programs. You know, all around the world, that will sort of incent people to go more towards uh, electric vehicles, which is just going to, you know, sort of pull that curve forward, um, you know, than than it otherwise otherwise would have been. So, you know, nickel, cobalt, lithium, all the battery materials are going to be uh, to be big winners in that kind of environment. Well, I hope, well, I hope so. I hope we do take the opportunity to re- reshape our future and you know. Re- redesign it um you know and obviously bat- i think batteries people are unsure for a period there but i think you're right we're, that's the, the kind of feedback we're hearing and andy home was you know was a great proponent of that he's the reuters senior metals correspondent we spoke to last week um but others too but i'm trying to find an unbiased unbiased voices saying the same thing right. you know is is important so but there's there's some there's some clues there's some clues in the marketplace yeah, no, I think, again, just watch the programs as they're, I mean, again, you know, we're, 
we're going to be tracking that. But uh, you know, again, encourage investors to see, you know, if you know, heaven forbid that the you know United States actually does something like that, you know, that you know, in more state, either at the federal level, it won't be the federal level under Trump, but maybe the next government or you know, at, at a state level, if you start to see it, because the key thing here is, you know, again, one of the challenges about selling, um, you know, sort of the electric vehicle future is, 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 you know, it's going to be cleaner. And it's, you know, people go, okay, well, how clean can the air be? Um, but because of COVID and traffic disappearing in so many places all around the world, people are like, oh my God, you know, that's what blue sky actually you know really looks like you know it's like that's this is how clean the air could be so you know again i think for um you know there's there's a real generation of people who are very focused on it and i think you know they've actually seen this very credible you know real sign of this is what it could look like every day um you know i think is going to help you know sort of drive the politicians to do something to get there so that's assuming there's nickel and batteries because if I listen to Tesla, LFP batteries are the future. Yes. Oh no, that was that was again. You know, it, it, it's all over. It's again. You know, it's nickel's done before it even got got started. Um, no, I think the key piece here is, um, you know, the, you know the the battery component of an electric vehicle and that whole sort of delivery of electricity into the motors. That's going to be the key differentiator for electric vehicles like the engine is for a car. So we don't have one engine for every single car globally. Um, and it's going to be the same thing for electric vehicles. You're going to have, you know, a you know, small low end option, you know, the 1.2 liter or the 1.6 liter. And then there's going to be the two liter turbo equivalent. And in this case, it's going to be, you know, around range um, and, and energy density. So you'll have a low end, a medium and a high end. Um, nickel is what gives the, the batteries the range. So um, in, in China, it was a specific situation. They needed to hit a specific price point. And again, in a low end, if you need something that's going to go a few hundred kilometers, again, if you have two cars or if you live in a very dense city, that's all you need. So, you know, my view was always, and I think I've said it in one of my videos earlier, that, you know, that's, I've always seen that this is the way the market's going. It's going to have a very cheap um, battery chemistry um, that will be short range, but is is perfect in, in, in North America for a second car and perfect in Asia and highly dense cities, um, you know, for that scale. You're going to have your mid-range Camry, you know, sort of Honda Accord, Civic, whatever the equivalents are in Europe of your average car. And, and that'll be a, a, a good nickel chemistry battery. And then there'll, there'll be the high end that gets you 200 extra kilometers and, you know, gives you this much faster discharge so your car can go even you know, go 300 kilometers, zero to 304 seconds as opposed to five seconds, you know, and, and that'll come at a premium. And, and again, but nickel is going to be a big part of that that, that battery. So, um, you know, what I was surprised at is just before COVID got going and it kind of got lost in the COVID noise was, you know, GM, you know, you know, very middle of the road. I was shocked that they basically said, look at, you know, we've got one major battery technology and we're going to use that as the base um, um, battery for our platform and it's 90% nickel. So the same amount of nickel that Tesla's using and it's in the rest of its batteries, um, um, GM is planning to use that as their base base battery across the bulk of, of their of their fleet. So I think it underscores, you know, A, the damage cobalt, that massive price spike in, in cobalt did to its market. So people accelerated that switch to 80 or 90% um, nickel batteries. Um, and, you know, again, I think that, you know, the fact that they know that that's the 
key to customer acceptance is you don't have to worry about running out of the battery at, at some point during your day. You're going to have more than enough range to get wherever you need to get to go. It's 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 fascinating times. It's obviously very early days. It's it's a nascent in, industry in in that sense, where we're going to have to work out are there going to be some standardizations of, of batteries, not just in, in one auto, auto manufacturer, but across several? Will there be specialist battery manufacturers or will the automotive companies want to retain that uh, control in-house? Because it will become very well, critically important to you know, th their brand. Yeah, no, I think, I think if you look at sort of what Tesla's done you know, over the last 10 years, you know, the battery has been a key, key focus for them because they realize, okay, you know, you know, you know, they have grand plans and they're going to get very big. But again, they're competing against Toyota, GM, Volkswagen, you know, who have, you know, tens of millions of, of car units. So, you know, you know, the scale of those businesses is always going to give them some advantage. So they realize the one component in the electric vehicle, which is unique to the electric vehicle, is that battery component. So they need to get, you know, as far ahead of everyone else on the scale curve and on the product development curve to, to try and keep two steps ahead of the giant elephant so it could come in and squash them if they, they get any difference. So that's why, you know, again, right out of the gate, he was talking about a gigafactory and you think, oh, they sell a thousand cars. Why is he building a plant to supply batteries for 50,000 cars? It's because, you know, he realizes he needs that. He needs to always stay ahead of everyone else on the scale curve. Uh, again, like everything else, you know, um, you know, if you look at all the key components, of the automotive, you will end up with a handful of winners who will become the, you know, um, the main battery component suppliers. And again, you know, for, for the big, big companies, they don't make much of their cars anyways, it, they just assemble them, right. And, and, and they rely on their partners to build the various components. So, so I, I think you'll have a few electric vehicle specialists who will, you know, again, maintain control over as much of the supply chain as possible. And then for all the other car companies, it's yeah, they'll have there'll be four or five key battery supplier winners, um, you know, who will who will provide most of the batteries for you know all of the cars globally. It's yeah, it's, I I want I want to know more really. Um about this because it, it there's there's so many sort of derivatives and spin-offs and you know there's going to be you know end of life battery recycling requirements all the you know uh, the people who maintain your cars and your fleets if, if you've got a corporate fleet you're going to have to be battery experts rather than engine experts it, it, it's a real big change to society in the way you know the way that we we behave because it's hopefully cleaner cleaner fuel but there's also going to be some a lot of new industries spinning up as a result so it's it's absolutely fascinating um yeah. we should talk about what's happening out there in the world of mining because this is all very interesting talking about batteries in the future and so forth yeah. but us investors want to make some money and we you know want yeah. to see what's happening we, we, we've talked um about your your project you know your business model about getting to market quickly you've kind of got a very accelerated yeah. time frame but there are uh, and, we'll, and we'll talk about that another time as well but yeah. uh, you know it's, it's it's you've identified a model that's going to work for you during one of the you know during the cycle so but i want to talk about some of the um some m a activity which has been happening in the market yeah. i think bhp and oz minerals have been busy but yeah. it seemingly doesn't look that exciting but it it, it probably is it's, it's, all this low-grade low grade nickel. Is that interesting? Yes. 
Oh, no. I mean, again, it's fascinating. So, uh, you know, again, for context, you know, BHP uh, uh, spent most of the 2010s trying to sell their nickel business. You know, in fact, you know, in the early 2010s, you know, the rumor on the street was, you know, they were negotiating with the buyer for the payment that BHP would have to pay them to take the asset and assume the large environmental liability that was in place. You know, that was how much BHP didn't like nickel back you know, a decade ago, you know, fast forward, um, you know, and, and you now have the CEO talking about it. And, and to their credit, they're putting their money where their mouth is. So, you know, three years ago, their Mount Keith was the was, you know, sort of the template for the large low grade mining operation. It opened in 1995 and has been running, you know, you know, running um, all during that time period, but it's coming to the end of its life. And they, and they spent money about three years ago to open up a second deposit nearby. And, and so they're going to maintain production out of that operation. And again, it's a fraction of the sexy high grade core um, that you see in a lot of places. And what was fascinating in the past two weeks, I, I did not expect it this quickly um, in the cycle. But, um, you know, BHP Billiton um, bought another large. There's two good large two 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 of the better low grade uh, nickel sulfide assets in Australia, and both of them are now gone. So BHP just bought a project called Honeymoon Well from Norelsk. Uh, they didn't disclose the price tag. Uh, I know, you know, again, 10 years ago, uh, rumor on the street was, you know, they were looking in, the, in for around, you know, $100 million in that kind of um, dollar range. So I don't know if we'll be able to see from um, anybody's financial statements whether it shows up in a note somewhere. Um, but the second one, which was sort of a clear market one, was uh, Oz Minerals has a joint venture with a company called Cassini Resources uh, for the Nebo Babel deposit. This was discovered in 2000 by uh, WMC um, and has been advanced. Um, and it, I mean, it's in it's in a more remote uh, location, um, which again, if you're going to build a low-grade operation, is tough because you need a lot of infrastructure and, and you know uh, capacity to, uh, to process that material. Um, but yeah, they paid 75 million dollars, roughly Australian, for 30 the 30 percent of the project. That Cassini owned, so that put a two hundred and fifty million dollar price tag, uh, you know, on that asset. And I think valued it at kind of 0.3 to 0.4 times NAV of of the you know pre feasibility study that they had done on the project. So you know, again, we're just getting started in the nickel space, and you know, Oz Minerals has, has has made a you know several smart deals over a time period. So it's nice to see smart money starting to pick up um, nickel assets, you know, this early in the in in the story. So. I think it bodes well in terms of, of you know what might be coming down the pipe. It, I mean, but it does it does bode well. Um, but I'm interested in the, the types of deals that um, big companies are looking at. I mean, what what are these big companies looking for? I mean, BHP they, they need scale, right? They, that, that's fine. Yeah. But there's going to be more and more uh, M&A activity because there there are companies out there with nickel projects haven't got the funding. It, incapable of getting the funding because they don't have the management team to you know give confidence to institutions or family offices to get them get them over the line so that there are stranded assets out there do you think do you see more MA coming up for nickel if not this year or next oh for sure you know again i think um just i guess a couple of things one is you know in terms of um you know large low lower grade deposits you know just again, using the, looking at the copper space, you know, um, you know, BHP and Rio Tinto, I'm sure would love to buy a two or three percent copper project that can produce, you know, hundreds of thousands of tons of copper a year for 30 years. But, you know, we, I think we found the last one of those deposits in 1910. So, you know, 
where they are now is, you know, their portfolio, you know, the majors, the mid tiers, you know, their portfolio of copper is kind of 0.4 to 0.5% copper, you know, some new discoveries a little bit higher than that. Um, but that's, you know, that's what they buy because they need something that's going to generate, you know, multi hundred millions or billions of dollars in revenue for 20 or 30 years. So, um, you know, the, the, the best nickel discoveries of the last decade, the high grade you know, Nova Bollinger was the one got acquired in, in the mid in mid 2010s, and that was the best discovery of of that decade. But that started with a 300,000 ton you know nickel resource that produces about 25,000 tons of nickel per year. That was a perfect deal for Independence Group, given the size they were. That that materially moved the needle for them. But that you know that barely scratches the needle for a Rio Tinto, you know, or BHP. So you know I think. Um, they want assets that are of again of a scale and, and of a life lifespan that do it and in the nickel space it's either large nickel laterite deposits um you know which have um you know their own challenges um or that are typically found in some higher risk jurisdictions but you know out you know in the lower risk jurisdictions it's basically the, the only deposits that kind of fit that bill are these larger scale low grade deposits so again i'm not surprised to see these start to go already um, um but i think you know that's the thing investors need to get their head around is that oh okay you know why didn't bhp go buy some of these new high grade discoveries that look you know from an investor perspective oh that core is very shiny that's that's exciting um you know why didn't oz minerals buy one of those um projects you know it's like no they need something that moves the needle and you need to find a large enough resource to be able to move the needle for these companies but there's they aren't there's going to be well, i don't know if there's going to be but do you think there's room for consolidation in, in this space if people could get the money? Because once, once the price gets back up, you know, the bankers start listening and they start sniffing around. They go, they're, they're asking if they, how they, they're trying to work out how they deploy capital. We used to do it. We used to chase deals, okay? And when we were chasing yep. these deals, we were, the, the most fun we had was consolidation because you yep. could you put something together, some of the parts, etc. And, you know, you, you, you could walk away with um, everyone's made a lot of money. So it's great. But then you've got to make those things work. So which is the operation team's problem, um, yeah. not the bankers. So are you are you seeing talk like that in the market or is everyone's got the head down at the moment, focused on their own? No, I, I, the tough part for nickel is relatively consolidated, um, you know, already. And again, most of the supply growth has happened in Indonesia, which is kind of a no go place for most you know, Western Western mining companies. So what the, the issue that they're more struggling with is, OK, how do I get a toehold? You know, how do I get a foothold in this business? You know, um, again, from a portfolio perspective, um, you know, the majors, you know, the last 10 years has really been about the bulks, right? Met coal, iron ore and um, and thermal coal. Well, you know, thermal coals for the majors is now on its way out. You know, and, and the challenge in China going forward is you're going to have, you know, the new cores of, of the uh, scrap steel are now ramping up in China in a big way as scrap becomes a bigger part of that market. So iron ore and, and met coal is going to be a little more challenging um, market going forward. So they need to find some more ways to keep moving the needle for their $100 billion businesses. And so um, battery metals is attractive because it's going to be a very high growth period, high growth metal for a period of time. But the challenge is, is nickel and lithium are the only two that are big enough as a space that matters. Um, and so, 
and, and there's just not that many big assets outside of Indonesia for um, you know companies to get to. I, I, again, I can, you know um, I, I know um, you know a, a number of corporate development people at, at some of the larger mid tiers, and, and you know that's their you know they started looking at nickel kind of a year and a half ago, and they're trying to think through okay. You know, we want exposure to this, and and how do we do it? Do we buy, you know, let's say, um, um, you know, um, Valley's, you know, been focused on iron ore. Do they still want their nickel business? Are they going to sell pieces of that nickel business off? You know, so the mid tiers are thinking, do I should I buy, you know, parts of an existing producer who might be a seller, at this point in time? And, and there's just not, um, you know, unlike in copper where you've got, you know, the, um, you know, first quantum. And Freeport, you know, so if you've got sort of the, 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 the big, you know, the BHP, Rio Tinto, Glencore, you know, sort of at the top of the food chain, then you have these large sort of um, um, specialists to, to an extent. And so you've got First Quantum um, and, uh, and, and Freeport McMoran, right? And then sort of, you know, beneath that, you've got sort of large mid, you know, sort of large, larger-ish, you know, well, of, of various sizes, but you know, in the copper space, you know, in Canada, we have Capstone and Taseco and Hud Bay Minerals, you know, a number of other players. Um, you know, there's a whole sort of t tiers with a bunch of different assets in the nickel space. You know, they're really, you know, you have Norilsk, uh, Jinchuan, uh, you know, Valet's nickel business, Glencore's nickel business, um, and and that's you know that's a big chunk of what's not in Indonesia and the Philippines. So. Um, you know that's nickel assets when they're required because there's so few ones that new discoveries they, they always tend to trade out at a premium because there's just very little new product on the shelf um, decade in decade out okay interesting that is interesting it's, fasc it's fascinating space it was certainly becoming fascinating um to us at the moment because it's, it's you're an interesting point in the in the cycle and you've, you've been affected by you know a lot of different moving parts at the moment um well, like Mark, I, I think we better wrap it up there for our weekly. We're, sure. we're in danger of getting into next week's uh, topic. So next week, <laughs> we're, we're, we're going to look at a few charts. We're going to look at a few yeah. um, graphs and try and help people sort of understand a little bit more about the world of nickel. So appreciate your time today. Thank you. Well, thank you. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast? or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.